Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Well, last Sunday we talked about the love of Christ and, and how we are to examine ourselves and make sure that we're doing what is right in the scripture. And today we're going to talk about a pharmaceutical spirit, which is what Jesus said uh, was the wrong kind of character. So we're going to look at a few scriptures of things that Jesus said and descriptions that he gave about those things so we can make sure that we don't fall into any of that. So Sunday we talked about how to love others. And today we're going to look at some examples of people that did it. The Pharisees were bullies. So God gives us a lot of descriptions of how he, how he disapproved of their character and their bullying of others and uh, tells us what that looks like so that we can make sure that we're not like that. So today we're learning about the Pharisees, a pharmaceutical spirit. Now, to explain, a Pharisee was a type of priest. Not all Pharisees were bad. All right, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There were other Pharisees that were good. But the majority of them were bad. Just like today, you have a lot of preachers in the world. You have some that are really good. You have a lot that are really bad. So each one has to be uh, judged. Jesus said, judge them by the fruits. Look at the fruits. And so through these things where Jesus was calling out the bad character of these bad Pharisees, we get to see what that bad fruit really looks like. Now, when we talk about a pharmaceutical spirit, because the majority of them had these bad characteristics, we're referring to the bad characteristics. But I just have to make it understood that not every Pharisee was bad. In fact, the Bible actually tells us later that even though a lot of them were against Jesus when he was alive, after his death and resurrection, a lot of the Pharisees did actually start believing in Jesus and get saved. So even though they were uh, controlling and mean and bullies in the beginning, some of them did eventually get humbled and change and get saved and get right. So it is possible to deliver someone, for God to deliver someone from a pharmaceutical spirit. It, it does tend to be a little difficult because they don't usually know that they are like that. A bully doesn't really understand that they're a bully usually. Because there's an essence of pride in it. Somebody with a pharmaceutical spirit can be saved and changed, but it is hard because they don't think that they need to change. They usually think that everybody else does. So one of the things we see in scripture about a pharmaceutical spirit is that they, they see what's wrong in everybody else, but they don't see what's wrong in themselves. So a pharmaceutical spirit, it sees everything wrong with everybody else, but it doesn't see what's wrong with itself. A righteous man is easy on others, but hard on themselves. But a pharmaceutical man is hard on others and easy on himself. He, he sees everything wrong with everybody else. The Bible talked about make sure you stop first and get the beam out of your own eye before you try to, to get a little speck out of somebody else's. The Bible, the word of God, is always to be used as a mirror first before it's used as a sword. When a word comes forth from a message... If you're thinking about, ooh, I know who that's for, ooh, I know who that's for, ooh, that applies to that person, ooh, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit's telling them, 
then you probably have a pharmaceutical spirit. Whereas the right spirit would say like, okay, Lord, show me where this applies to me. Oh, thank you, Lord, for showing me this so I don't fall into it. Or, oh, Lord, I think I'm guilty of that. I need to repent. The, the right spirit is looking to see how the word of God can improve you before you go and try to improve others. It should always be a mirror before you use it as a sword. We see this in Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus gives a, a parable. Now, Jesus, when Jesus would be preaching or teaching, there were usually Pharisees around, and they were usually there to try to find something wrong. They were nitpicking apart his message, trying to figure out what they could complain about or what they could prove him wrong with. They were envious. They were jealous. They were hard-hearted. They didn't like the way that he did things, going out and helping all of these riffraff kind of people. So a lot of the times the parables that Jesus was telling was actually for the Pharisees because they were sitting there listening. So he was preaching to them through the parables. And this is one of them. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says, And he's talking about Jesus, spake this parable unto certain of them which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So he's saying there were some people in the congregation who really thought that they were righteous, but yet they, they had a disdain for others. They despised others. Oh, that person's not right. This person's not right. That person, I can't stand them. This person is guilty of this or that. They despised others, but they thought that they were righteous, which according to scripture, and Jesus is trying to prove to them that if you despise anybody or think you're better than anybody, then you're not righteous because that's not right. Two men, this is the parable Jesus gave, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee's, and the other, a publican. All right, so there's two. The Pharisee was, was like a, a priest almost. Okay, the publican was like, what, a tax collector? Something like that. Yeah. The publican was like a tax collector, which is somebody that nobody liked. You know, nobody likes tax collectors. And to understand, like, in this culture, they had been uh, taken over. The Jewish people were, were occupied by Rome. So that was like another country coming in, taking over, occupying, and, and everybody doesn't like them because they're not letting you live a free life. They're not letting you exercise your religious rights or your culture. So, you know, that would be like if China or Russia would come in and take over us and then we would be like subservants, you know, citizens underneath them. So nobody liked the Romans. And the tax collectors were collecting taxes from the Jews for the Romans. So, so Matthew was a tax collector. That's one of the reasons everybody hated him because they thought he was a traitor because he was working for the enemy, basically, taking their money to give to the, the Romans. So you have a, a Pharisee who is someone well-respected, and then you have a publican, which is somebody that nobody likes. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. So he's, the Pharisee is praying like this. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not even so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but rather smote on his chest saying, God be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the one, 
who went to God and prayed and acknowledged his own sin and cried out and humbled himself before God and was like, God, I have sinned. I'm not even worthy to, to look up to you. Lord, I, I'm broken and humbled before you. God said he forgave his sins. He went back to his house justified. That's what justified means. Justified means that he, he's forgiven you. You are, you are clean before him. But the one who went up to him and was like, well, thank God, thank you that I'm not like this person. Lord, he does this. Lord, they do that. Lord, they do that. Lord, uh, I'm doing this right. I'm doing that right. They're doing this wrong. He was not right in God's eyes. He went back to his house still a sinner. Because all he did was call out somebody else's sin. He was too busy worrying about other people's problems and thinking that he was all right. Now remember, it says at the beginning of this that Jesus gave this parable because he knew that there were some there who thought that they were righteous while they were despising others. And he said, you can't, you can't be both. You can't despise others and be righteous. So he gave this parable. So that was a, one of the characteristics that was a problem with the Pharisees. In John chapter 12, verse 42, we see that now a lot of these Pharisees, they really had an antichrist spirit, but we're not going to really get into that. But ultimately it does come down to that because anytime you have people in religious authority that aren't moving by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus, they're going to be moving by a counterfeit of it. So it's either going to be by an antichrist spirit, which is... Um, controlling and, and mean and manipulative. It's going to be the opposite of everything Christ is. Christ was humble, so it's going to be prideful. Christ was selfless, so it's going to be selfish. Um, or it'll be moving in a false prophecy spirit because it's going to be one of the, the Trinity. It's going to either be counterfeiting Jesus, God, or the Holy Spirit, but it's going to be the opposite of it. So there is a, a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. There is a false prophetic. There is a counterfeit of Jesus. There is an antichrist. There's a counterfeit of God. And we see it all through scripture. We're not really going to get into that too much. But you will see the fruits of these things manifested in the harshness and the control and the manipulation. The people were afraid to follow God because they were so worried about following the Pharisees. In fact, I don't have the scriptures in there, but Jesus did uh, fuss at them at one point telling them that they caused the people to sin because the people were trying to obey them more than scripture. Make a big deal out of something small that really doesn't even amount to a whole lot, but yet overlook bigger sins and problems. Jesus makes the point to say, look, when they're reading out of the Bible, don't throw everything they say away because some stuff is just scripture and it's still true, but don't do like they do. Don't be mean. Don't be hard hearted. Don't be the opposite of what we preach Sunday. You know, we were talking about showing that selfless love of Christ. You have to demonstrate to be the difference. But in John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many of them believed on him. So many of the, the rulers believed in Jesus. It says, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. If you find yourself altering your actions, rather for good or for bad, because of a fear of what somebody is going to say or think of you, then it's a pharmaceutical spirit. We alter our actions out of what God will think of us. 
We want to fast when God tells us to fast. We don't fast because a person wants us to fast or because we feel like we're going to be looked down on for being the only one in the group that's not fasting. But when God calls us to fast, we fast. That's the difference between legalism and obedience. You know, if, if, if you're afraid to do something or to say something or to go somewhere because a person is going to make you feel itty-bitty about it, then there's a pharmaceutical spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the way it works. Now, we should be convicted about things, but we should be convicted because God sees it and because we know it's not right in God's eyes, because we know God wants things right. Now, there can be people in our life that help us to see and to know what is right, but the moment you come to that place where you're like, oh, I don't know if I should say this because so-and-so is going to be mad about it or, or going to make a big deal about it or going to make me feel itty-bitty about it, well, there's a pharmaceutical spirit. That's not how God works. If God puts it on your heart to do that, then that's very good. But there are some who, you know, will mandate fast, and, and you're, you're lesser than everybody else if you're not fasting. Or you didn't fast as much as I did, or you didn't do as good as I did, or I did more than you. And that's, a fair, that's not right. It becomes show up. That's pharisaical. Yeah. Right. And in, in this case where we just read, the Pharisees were actually causing people to um, to not be not want to confess Christ. They were bullying them. They were making them feel like they were. They told them they couldn't come to the synagogues if they admitted that they followed this person. They were bullying. They really were. You can't be friends with them, or you can't come and come come around us. <laughs> Basically, they were telling the people that if if you go hang out with Jesus, you can't hang out with us. That's what they were doing. And. They made clicks. Yeah. They were causing division. And God's all about bringing more people into the family. God's about finding the, the brokenhearted and the marginalized and the ones that are bullied and picked on and, and bringing them into the family and making them feel like they're a part. So go ahead and pull up Matthew 18, verse 1. I'm going to read it from the board. The Pharisees were so controlling and mean and selfish and arrogant and uh, in the way that they operated, that they were causing people to not want to be part of the family of God anymore. I wanted to include this little passage, not because it really talks specifically about Pharisees, but because they were part of the audience. And Jesus was talking to his followers and giving them some instruction in how to not become pharmaceutical themselves. So, what Jesus is about to tell us works on two different levels, and I'll kind of explain it as we go through it. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now remember, the Pharisees, they always wanted to be the greatest. They wanted to be at the top. They wanted to lead others. They wanted to be seen as being something important and strong, and they wanted other people to be seen as being underneath them. So when the the disciples, Jesus' followers, come and they ask him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, he knows they're already starting to think like the Pharisees. How can I be the big, the big dog on top? So he responds to them like this. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So he calls a little kid up and sits him down in the middle of all of these teachers and said, verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, 
ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so he brings the child and sits them in the middle, okay? And then from here on out, the things that he says, most people preach it as Jesus' opinions on children. And it does apply, but that's not what he was actually saying. He was using the child as a metaphor for those who are newly converted. He said, unless you are converted, so you have to come, you have to be saved, you have to be changed in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So everything he says after this is actually talking about people who are newly converted. In other words, spiritual children. It does apply to physical children because God loves the little children. But it's actually talking about people who are young in the faith. They've just been converted. They're spiritually young. They're immature. They just heard about the gospel. They just started coming to church. Maybe they don't have all the lingo down yet. They don't understand all the things they're supposed to do. They're not acting completely and totally right yet because they're babies. They're young in the faith. They're still stumbling and trying to learn how to walk things out. So let's continue. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So they're asking, who's the greatest? Who's the most you know, powerful? Who's the most important? Who's the best? And Jesus is saying, well, you have to be converted and be born again and be like this little child. You have to be humble and come. And actually, they're the ones that are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because they don't know anything yet. They don't have all this pride and all this arrogance and all this hard-heartedness. They're, they're humble because he says the least is actually the greatest. They're innocent. They do have a faith like no other. And, and I've seen a lot of ministries that will take newly saved people and use them in their evangelism because they know they get the most miracles because that's where the faith is the strongest because they haven't gotten so much education that they have too much knowledge to have any faith. So he's talking about those who are, are young. They're more dependent on the Lord. They're like children. They're more willing to just follow the lead of, of the Father. They're not going to try to take the lead. And that's really the key to where the strength is. And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name receiveth me. So he's saying those that are willing to take in or take on these newly converted people, you know, to help them, to disciple them, it's the same as, as helping Jesus. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now that's very serious. That's very serious. That's how serious it is about bullying or being envious or, or running people off and keeping them from coming to church or having these things that will cause them to be offended and run away. He says it would be better. A millstone was a big, giant, heavy, round rock that was pushed by mules and used to grind up wheat. If any of you kids have seen the movie The Star, at the beginning the donkey was pushing that, that big stone in a circle to grind up the wheat, that's a millstone. Jesus said it would be better to tie that around your neck and be thrown into the sea and drowned because your judgment would be better because you would have stopped yourself from hurting somebody else or preventing them from coming into the kingdom. Somebody who had a, a chance to become something it's a very serious, serious thing. This is how Jesus looks at it when one of these little ones is offended. Just offended because offense will drive them out. 
okay? Now, this does apply to children. Jesus loves the little children. But he is not talking about physical children. He was using a physical child to make a point about the spiritual young, the newly converted. Woe unto the world because of offense, for it must need be that offenses come. But woe to the man by whom the offenses come. All right, so he said, yes, there will be offenses, but don't let the offense come from you unnecessarily. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into the fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell's fire. So what he's saying is it's such a serious offense to discourage people from coming into God's kingdom that he's saying it's better to cut off members than to do it. Okay, now we teach this as saying that if our hand is, is making us want to steal something, it's good to cut it off. It's better to go to heaven with, without a hand than to go to hell with two hands. That's a good lesson. But what he's talking about in context or offending the newly converted. Now the Bible talks about all of the members of the congregation being as members of the body. He's saying it's actually better to lose one of those members than to let offense get in and drag the whole congregation to hell. The whole body can be drugged to hell because it's following the leading of one bad member. So kids, that could be like having friends at school that influence you to bully or to do bad things. You pray for people. You pray for God to change them. But if they're causing you to do things that could send you to hell, it's better to cut it off. It's better to disconnect from those relationships. God will bring the right people in at the right time. If you pray, you know, Lord, send help, whatever the situation. We pray for everybody. We want everybody to make it in. But there are times where God will say, cut it off. There are some times where you have to get away from some people that are bad influences because when the, when the punishment is that severe, it would be better to lose a member of your group than for the whole group to be found guilty of something so severe. That applies to friends, that applies to congregations, that applies to families, that applies to everything. So it's very, very serious. Again, remember the... The disciples were starting to be influenced by the Pharisees. And so he's telling them, don't become like the Pharisees. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Do not despise one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So yes, when you get saved, you do get Gordian angels. The Bible talks about him giving his angels charge over you. He said that they always, in other words, God is watching. And when bad things happen to the young, physical, or the spiritual young, the angels are tattling on us immediately. God knows about it immediately. And I've seen God react very quickly and very harshly. 
For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. And this brings it all back in to the point that he was making from the beginning. The whole reason Jesus came was to save that which was lost. That's the reason that we should be out there trying to help to save the lost. It's not about running others off. It's about bringing the lost in. Yes, there are times where we have to disconnect from people if they're causing us to sin. But ultimately, we need to be showing the selflessness and the humility that Christ did to bring them in, not the pride and arrogance and hard-heartedness that the Pharisees were doing that were running people off. So we want to be like Jesus. We don't want to be a Pharisee. All right. Pull up Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. We're going to read through this, and then we're going to call it quits. Because this is a very serious chapter. This is the closest thing you're going to get to Jesus telling some people off. Jesus is love. Love will cause you to defend the innocent. Love will cause you to fight for the children. Now, just like we excuse things in children because they don't know better, the spiritually young don't know better. So when I'm talking about defending the innocent, they might not even be doing everything right. Children don't do everything right. But the fact that they're spiritually immature gives a little bit more grace on it that while God is working on them to try to get them to that place of maturity, those who should be mature are discouraging them. And so God takes that very serious. God does judge us more harshly the more that we know. To whom much is given, much is required. All right, so this is Jesus' opinions of the characteristics of the Pharisees. We need to look at this so that we know not to be like them. Then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say, and they do not do. So in the, in the synagogues, they had a seat called Moses' seat. It's where the person who was going to read from the scrolls went and sat. So like the, the teacher, the Pharisee or the scribe, the important person, would go and sit in this seat, and they would take out the scrolls that were the books of Moses the things that Moses had written, the five, first five books of the Old Testament. They were sitting in there and they were reading the Bible. So Jesus tells them, he says, now look, before I correct the Pharisees, I don't want you to throw away everything that they're saying because they are reading the Bible. The things that they're reading to you do, but don't act like them because they're not acting right. And then he goes on to correct the things that they were doing that were not right. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, observe and do, but do not after their works. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So basically they're always complaining, always giving you orders, always telling you to do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. 
But when it comes to them, they're not walking it out themselves. They're going to make an excuse when it's their turn to sacrifice and not do these things. Oh, well, there's a reason why it's okay for me to do it. Or now I've changed my, my thinking and now I can do it. So they were making things hard on others, but easy on themselves. So we don't want to be like that. If we speak it, if we preach it, we must be it. We need to live it. We need to demonstrate it. We need to be harder on ourselves than we are on others. We need to lead by example more than by pressure and by word. They need to see our life and say, you know what? I, I want to be more like them. I need to change. I need to go further. I need to. We, we don't need to be harping and hammering on somebody and then they see us doing something and be like, well, pfft, they're doing that. They don't even do it themselves. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. So he's saying the things that they do, they do it to be seen like, oh, I'm so holy. I'm so good. I'm doing something. Their garments were designed with like the, the seat seats, but they made theirs super, super, super long. So they basically, there were things that were added to remind you to be holy, to remind you to think of God, to remind you to pray. Well, they made theirs very showy, very big. Look at me. I pray a whole lot. Look at me. I'm very holy. Look at me. I'm, tri I'm tripping over my holiness because my, my seat seats are so long. <laughs> but it was all for attention. It was for attention. And they loved the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in synagogues. So when there was a party or a feast, they wanted to be seated in, in the important seat. They wanted to have the attention to be seen as somebody important and special. These were the characteristics of the priest at the time. God, Jesus is saying, this is not who we are. We don't want to be like this. Let's go. They greet and they love the greetings in the marketplace and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. So they liked the attention. They liked being seen as leader. They liked when people greeted them and, and oh, everybody knows me. I'm something important and special. Be not... Ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. So he's saying don't desire to be called something higher than everybody else. Recognize that Christ really is the head, and we're all brethren. We're all together. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all a family, and we're trying to help each other get there. I saw a little meme that said something to the effect of life is really just us each walking each other home. You know, we're trying. And it was like a little girl and a little boy walking each other home. You know, we're, we're trying. To, we're all trying to make it. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be called ye master, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So all of these things were titles that gave the, um, the point that you were higher than somebody else. He's saying don't desire to be seen as being higher than others and others being beneath don't you. Right. The greatest among you shall be your servant. The word minister literally means servant. So if you want to be seen as great in the kingdom of God, then you serve others, right? Do as the children do, as he gave in the other example. They help with the babies. They clean up the nursery. They clean up the Sunday school room. They help and set things up. God sees that as greater in the kingdom than trying to be seen as, you know, lording over other people and controlling people and, you know, all of that, that God sees that as important. But whosoever shall exalt himself, he shall be abased. 
And he that shall humble himself, he shall be exalted. So if you try to make yourself seem important, God's going to knock you off your high horse. But if you're willing to serve in the low and just do what, do it for the love of God, then there are times where he will elevate. He will, he will exalt you. But woe unto you, and this is where Jesus really starts hammering it, bringing it home. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Before we go any further, who knows what a hypocrite is? The word hypocrite in the time of Jesus was the, the Greek word for actor. They had big theaters in Jerusalem because Rome had taken over things. And they had actors who would put on masks and put on costumes and pretend to be something that they weren't. So when he calls them hypocrites, he's calling them actors. So woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you are an actor. You're pretending to be something you're not. You might look it on the outside, but you're not it on the inside. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them to enter in, that enter in to go in. So he was telling them, look, you're not going to heaven. And you're actually preventing others from going too. This is very serious. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. All right, they were taking money from the widows to the point where they didn't have finances to even live, and then putting on this, this image of holiness, giving these long, long prayers, and God was saying, you should know better than what you're doing, so you will actually have a greater damnation, which is what we talked about earlier. Those that are spiritually more mature are held to a higher standard. When you know the scripture, you are required to walk in it. When you know what is right and you don't do it, it is sin. So it becomes serious. That's why the Bible says don't desire to be a leader or to be uh, over other people because you're going to be held to a higher standard. There is a greater damnation. You can serve a greater sentence in hell if you know what's right and do it intentionally wrong and cause others to stumble. And that's really the key to it because we're going back to the, the children you know, example. It's the, the thing that makes it so bad is that it discourages others from coming into the kingdom. And that's the whole point of us still being here. If it wouldn't be for that, we would have gone with Jesus 2,000 years ago. We are here to bring others in. So let's go through. We're going to the end of the chapter, so let's go through it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye come past sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twice full more the child of hell than yourself. This is Jesus. This is Jesus preaching. He's saying, you go across land and sea to try to convert one person into your church and all you do is end up making him twice the child of hell more than you are yourself. You're going to hell and you're bringing other people to hell. You're running off the ones that are trying to do right and you're bringing the ones that are more right and turning them wrong. Yes, yeah, elbow drop time. Jesus elbow dropping. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple... It is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. They were making the people put more emphasis on money and monetary things than on the power of God. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold, and whosoever shall swear by the altar 
it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. So they were putting more emphasis in the people's mind on the things, the materialism. They were turning the people towards materialism. Fools and blind, and whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth it. The altar is more important than the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, swear by it, and by all things thereon. The altar is more important. That's the place where you come to die. That's the place of humility, of sacrifice, of laying everything down. That's the place of selflessness, not the materialism, which is a place of selfishness. And whoso shall swear by the temple, swear by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, swear by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now this is, this is actually what sparked the whole lesson. This same account is recorded in Luke, and in Luke it sums it up by saying, you are faithful to pay tithe and all these things, but you forget the importance of God's justice and his love. In other words, you're, you're making sure the people tend to the money and the, the, the things that you can control. But when it comes to justice and love, you're not showing love to the people. You're not showing... The Bible says to not be a respecter of persons, to do good for everybody, to be just. He's saying, now, I'm not telling you not to pay tithe. That part you're doing right. You should be doing both, though. And in the end, this is more important, to show the love. So don't think yourself high and mighty because you're doing some things right if you're not doing the most important thing right, which is showing the love. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And you will see this in a pharmaceutical spirit, and you will see this in many pulpits. They will make such a big deal out of some things, but yet other things that are really important in the kingdom of God are completely ignored or overlooked, or it's okay. Because they don't want to have to abide by it themselves. And those who really don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, they will find something easy that they can strain at, that they can make a big deal about. Your, your clothes, what you're wearing what you're watching. I mean, some stuff is important that you shouldn't be watching, obviously, but some stuff is not so much, but they'll, they'll how long your hair is, you know, things that really don't matter in the scope of eternity. They will make such a big deal, a law out of that, but yet there's no love for the people. There's no heart for God. There's no fruits of the spirit. There's no gentleness. There's no sacrifice. There's no tending to the widow and the orphan. So the things that are important, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. Extortion is getting things out of somebody more than what is necessary, and excess is living above and beyond what you need. Eating too much food, having too expensive of a house, um, consuming too much on yourself when you could be helping others with that. So the extortion is taking too much. The excess is using too much on you. It's bad enough if you take too much, but then you give it out. 
It's worse when you take too much, but then you, you hoard it all for yourself. For example, you see some of these TV preachers and they have a $4 million house and you have widows that are sending their check to try to help do ministry work, but the money's not going to feed orphans and widows. It's going to a $4 million house. That's extortion and excess. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus is very, very mad about that. But it's not just in those big extremes. We can be guilty of it too if we take more than we need. Is God supplying finances to our home that we could use to help somebody else or food or resources or whatever? You know, God, God wants us to be charitable and to help the body. Thou blind Pharisees, clean first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. So he was telling them, you make the outside look real good, but the inside is dirty. So they put on all the costumes. They looked like good Christians, but inside their heart wasn't right. They were dirty. He's saying, no, you work on the inside first, and then the outside will change. Kind of what we were talking about earlier, even like with you know dress codes and, and some churches, you have to look like you're a squeaky clean Christian in a suit and tie and an ankle long dress, and, and but they're not even really saved. And Jesus was making the point that it's more important to get the inside cleaned, right. and then the outside will change. Right. But if, if you come harp on getting people that are willing to fake the outside when the inside's not even right yet, you're training them to be fake from the get-go. So it's about trying to get the inside right first. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto white sepulchers, which is a grave, which indeed appears beautiful outwardly, but are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Now remember, he's talking to the priest. He's saying, you're like a grave that's been painted white. It looks good on the outside, but it's nothing but death inside. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. God knows the heart. He sees. He hears the gossip. He hears the slander. He hears the things that are being spoken when you think nobody's listening. God is always watching. You can make it look good on the outside, but he knows what's on the inside. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which kill the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. So he's saying that, they, that these people... They make a big deal about parading the tombs of the prophets. The prophets were hated by most people, and they were killed. But these people are like, well, if we lived in those days, we would have stood with them. We wouldn't have been of those who were killing the prophets, but yet they were the same ones who ended up killing Jesus. So they did do the same thing. They were just as guilty. Don't be those that are envious of others, their giftings or their callings. You serpents. You generation of vipers. This is a sad day when, when Jesus tells you this. You serpent, you generation of vipers, which is a type of snake. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Think about it. He just pointed out to them 
how their fathers killed the prophets and how they think that they wouldn't do the same, but yet he is a prophet that they want to kill. And then he asked them, how can you escape the damnation? By not doing what your fathers did. Which and, accepting and accepting him. Which many of them did. And we are going to close on a high note when we're almost done. That's why I wanted to read what Jesus said first about the millstone around the neck and, and how serious it is in causing one of these little ones to stumble so that you would know his heart. He didn't just say this just to be one of those, oh, I'm going to tell somebody off kind of preachers. Right. His heart was that you are destroying children in the faith and, and you are going to face a serious damnation. You are causing people to stumble. Therefore, I have got to put my foot down right. on this. It is very, very serious, right. not only for those that are being lost, but for you also. Because in the end, God's goal is to save everyone, including the Pharisees. Wherefore, behold, I send you unto prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify. Jesus was prophesying what they would do to him. And some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues. They did that to Jesus too. And persecute them from city to city. They did it to the disciples that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barakas, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, but thou wouldest not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, this was a very hard message. Jesus hammered this out. But this was from a broken heart. This was from the heart of someone who understood the damnation that they were facing because of their own sin, selfishness, and rebellion. At the end of it, he's weeping. And the next part of the story is that he's weeping uh, and making the whip to crack in the temples. Jesus is weeping and he's crying out and he's telling them, I would have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks. That's how a hen protects. Jesus was saying, I want to protect you, but I can't because you have made yourself in allegiance with hell. You are outside of my will, outside of my character, outside of my spirit. You're outside of my protection. He said that I want to protect you and your children, but I can't. So instead, your children are going to be destroyed. Your temples are going to be destroyed. Your cities are going to be destroyed. The prophecy came true because they rejected Jesus, because they killed him, because they would not let God protect them because they would not come into right standing because of their pride that they kept thinking they had it right when they didn't. After the crucifixion, Rome came down on Israel and everything he prophesied happened. The temple was destroyed. The city was laid to siege. Their children starved in the streets. Everything happened. And that's why Jesus was so fervent in his warning because they didn't understand the destruction that was coming and he wanted so bad to save them from it, but they just wouldn't listen. And we're going to close. I'm not going to read it to you, but I want to bring you this 
little bit of revelation because I want to close this on God's heart in this whole situation. His heart in being so hard was because of the destruction that was coming. So many children were being lost, spiritual children that should have been brought into the kingdom because of this pharmaceutical spirit that they were facing the wrath of God, a very serious damnation. He wanted to save them from it, but they wouldn't listen. So in all of it, his frustration is, I've given you the example before of my little dog that would run away from me when we moved and that other dog was dangerous and, and there were wolves and I'd get mad at her and I'd finally catch her and I'd get so frustrated I'd be fussing at her and want to slap her because I was like, you don't know how dangerous it is. That, for, that was a, a frustration rooted in love because I am care and I concern and I don't want you eaten by wolves or by the neighbor's dog. Stay close to me. This was why he was so harsh in his speech because he knew what was coming. He wanted them to get right. He wanted them to take the way of escape and they wouldn't do it. So even for the Pharisee, God's heart was breaking and he was trying to save them. Now, I'm not going to read you the story, but there is a story in Scripture, another parable that Jesus gave about the prodigal son. And we've all heard the story about the prodigal son. It was a son who was living with his father, who was wealthy, and he wanted his inheritance early. So he goes to his dad and he tells him, give me your inheritance now. Uh, I, I want to go and do my own thing. Now, the inheritance was only given once the dad was dead, so it was almost like saying, You're, you just soon be dead to me. I just want your blessings. I just want your stuff. So he, gets the, he gives it to him, and then he goes out and he squanders it, and he uses it up until there's nothing left. And then all of his friends leave him when he doesn't have any more resources left so that he's left feeding pigs and eating the food that was given to him to feed the pigs. So he's feeding the pig slop to the pigs. And at this point, he realizes, you know what? It was better for me to go and to be a servant in my father's house because at least he takes care of his servants, okay? And we all look at this story and we think that's a great story. And it says that when the father saw him coming, the father went running to him and received him. He didn't scold him. He didn't hate him. He, he wrapped him up. He put a ring on his finger. He put a robe on him. And he gave him a place, he killed the fatted calf, and he brought him back into his house, and he was rejoicing that the son had come home. Now that's great. We look at that and we all think of, oh, I was raised in church, and then I went out into the world, and now I came back. It applies. That's all good. Jesus was telling that story specifically to the Pharisees. So really, his initial reason for speaking this story about a son who squanders the father's inheritance on extravagant living, extortion and excess, for vain attention, everything he just rebuked the Pharisees for doing, until the father's resources had dried up and he was left with nothing but pig's food. Pigs always represented the heathens from a Jewish perspective. It was an unclean animal. So that when he comes to the point of breaking and realizes that it was better to be a servant in his father's house and he comes back humble, willing to be a servant, not wanting to be somebody liked and important and using all of the gifts of the father's house and the resources to be something that he really wasn't because those things will dry up. 
If you have a pharmaceutical spirit, you will think that you are something and you will think that you can use God's resources and you will think that you can use his gifts and you will think that you can just take what he has, never mind him, and go out and squander it and use it. Eventually it does dry up and you're going to find that you're doing nothing but eating pig's food. You're going to start receiving from other spirits, from unclean things. And then at some point when there was nothing left and he was broken, there was no more protection, there was no more inheritance, there was no more blessing, there was no more resources, he realizes, you know what? It was better to just be a servant in my father's house. He goes back and the father comes running, receives him, gives him a robe and a ring, kills a fatted calf, and brings him back into the family. So that in the end, we see that God wants to save everybody, even the Pharisee. He had to show the Pharisees that he wanted to save the heathen and the adulterer and the drug addict and the prostitute and all the people he thought he was better than. But he had to let them know he wanted to save them too. But there takes a humbling. There takes a repentance. And there has to take a coming back with a heart to serve and not to be served, not to be somebody. All of his friends left him. Everybody that he thought he wanted to be something. Come back with a heart of service and he received him right back in again with open arms. God is in the business of redemption. It doesn't matter who it is. He is excited when the prodigal comes home. Whether it's a lost sheep He leaves the 99 to find the one. That's another parable that he gave to the Pharisees to try to remind them that he is excited when somebody comes back into the church or the family of God. But he wants them back too. So Lord, we thank you for this reminder tonight of your heart, of who you are, that you understand how serious a situation that we face even when we don't see it. Lord, you knew what the nation of Israel was facing And even when you got really rough with them and and gave these really hard, stern words, it was from a place of love and concern because you really wanted to save them. And Lord, even today as you speak these things, it's because you want to make sure that we're not guilty of something that is so damning, that brings such a serious uh, penalty under the law. But, oh, Lord, that you are the way of escape, that we can humble ourselves, that we can repent, that we can come to you and say, Lord, I just want to be a servant. And that you will come running and be excited. You will cleanse, you will forgive, you will deliver, and you will make us different. I know that I can say that of all my years doing um, deliverance, usually when a person has a stubborn deliverance or doesn't get delivered, it's either because they're blaming others, which the Pharisees did, or because they have a pharmaceutical spirit. There's a pride that thinks that they're all right when they're not. And you can't humble yourself and cry out for salvation if you don't really think that you need it. You have to recognize that you are in the pig pen, that you need him, and that it's better to be a servant than to be seen as somebody but still be facing damnation. So Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this lesson. We pray that it 
uh, change us, that we would not want to be like them, but we would want to be something different, that we would reflect your love and your character, and that we would go forth and do the work of your kingdom in purity and in humility. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.